You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. I'm not going to lie, I had a, a kind of a tough go writing this sermon this week, and uh, I can't imagine why. Jeez. Uh, uh, actually, I can't imagine why. The, the reason is, there are some, do you know what I mean by this? There are some texts that you could just jump into without any context, and you're going to come out on the other side surviving, right? You're going to know what you need to know. You're going to be helped. Last week was a great example. Last week, we were in the love chapter. It doesn't get any easier than the love chapter, right? Uh, you don't need a whole lot of context uh, to hear love is patient and for that to be meaningful to you and to be helpful to you, right? This is not that text, right? This is all kinds of weird. We have all kinds of terms that we need clarity on. We got all kinds of concepts that we need illumination on. So, so there, there's work to be done here that there wasn't quite as much work to be done in other settings. So there's some difficulty here. But then compounding that is the fact that I'm looking at a room full of people who have come with all kinds of different experiences and backgrounds and church histories into this moment. So some of y'all are here this morning and you came from spaces and churches where uh, all the, these kind of miraculous gifts, tongues and prophecy and healing, those were practiced on a Sunday morning. That was a very normative thing. You're just w- waiting for where the flag waving section is in this building. You're like, how come we're not passing out tambourines? Like, let's get this thing going, right? That's some of you in here. But you may be sitting next to another person in here who is just so far in the opposite. You, you read this passage, you're like, what is a tongue? Like the muscle in my mouth? Like, are you about to grab some coral snakes and start juggling them up here, Jimmy? Because if you are, I'm out, right? It just weirds you out. The whole thing seems strange. It seems foreign to you and you're just uncomfortable. It, and you may be sitting right next to each other. So shake their hand, tell them hi. Okay, but my point is just to say, wherever you, you come from this morning, uh, it's good to be here because we're coming under God's word this morning. And, and I'm thankful for that because uh, I'm, I'm praying that God's going to give us clarity and some biblical insight that we need uh, to understand these uh, things better. But I got to say this, uh, we are going to get into the minutiae. We're going to get into the tongues thing and the prophecy that we're going to talk about that day. But I, I just need you to hear me say, uh, even though we're getting into that, that's not what the text is really about. What the text is really doing, what God is really up to in this passage is to ask us a question. And here's the question humming behind the whole of chapter 14 for us. Do you see Sunday morning as a me moment or a we moment? That's really what's behind this whole thing. Do you see, when you think about the gathering of God's people, do you see it as primarily an opportunity for you individually to have a meaningful connection with God? And this is the place to do it. Or do you see it as something where you step into this space with your eyes on other people to find ways to help and bless and encourage and strengthen them? That is the question that's behind all of the other things in this text. So I don't, we're going to chase the other stuff, but I just don't want us to lose sight of that. Okay, so kind of keep that in your mind as we're going. Now, last week, if you were here with us, uh, you remember we were talking about love, biblical love. And we learned last week that love should be in the driver's seat, that, that love shows itself best when it's in, expressed in ways that... Um, uh, that bless other people, that forget about self. And in this chapter, there's a, there's a lot of that. It, it, Paul is essentially saying in this chapter, the, 
the way we express love is by finding ways to build up one another. That's a word he uses seven times in this chapter, that we are uh, to be people who in love find ways to build up or strengthen one another. And what the front half of the passage is doing this morning is it's, it's taking that concept, that, that principle, that uh, love is uh, operational when we're building up each other. It's taking that principle and it's putting it inside a scenario. It's giving us a case study for it. It's putting boots on the ground and saying, watch this play out in a situation. And the situation kind of sounds a little bit like a, a guy, like two guys walk into a bar joke. Here's the setup for the first half of uh, chapter 14. A guy speaking in tongues and a guy prophesying walk into a church who's greater. That's really the beginning of of this chapter. That's what it's kind of asking us. And Paul's answer is, the prophet is greater. He says in verse five, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. Why, Paul? So that the church may be built up. You hear that word again? That's the job. So there is something about the gift of tongues. Now, we haven't even defined tongues yet and said what it is, but there's something about this gift called tongues that by itself isn't helpful to people, Paul's saying. And when we gather as a people, our job is to build each other up, right? And tongues by itself doesn't meet that criteria, so we should lean into the gifts that do. That's what he's saying. Or to say it in a simpler way, Sunday morning is a we moment, not just a me moment. So we're going to commit ourselves to gifts that help us thrive, not just me thrive. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying here. Now that I've alienated half the room, let me see if I can make this work in the text. Uh, What we have to, we have to do a little bit of work here to go, what is tongues? What is prophecy? Uh, Because you have to know something about the gift before you can figure out how it's meant to work. Yeah. So Paul's going to do some explaining now. And uh, you can look with me in chapter 14, starting in verse one. He says this, pursue love, right? We're coming off of the heels of the love chapter, right? Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Okay, so remember what we're doing right now. We're trying to figure out something about what tongues is, the nature of tongues. What, what can we learn here? A few weeks ago, if you were here, Rodney gave us some definitions of a lot of the spiritual gifts. He gave us a short, taught definition for each one. Here's the one he gave for tongues. Here's a very short, concise way to talk about what the gift of tongues is. The gift of tongues is the ability to speak a language you do not understand. So that is the least you could say about tongues and get it right, right? That it's the ability to speak a language you do not understand. But if you know anything about this gift, you know there's a whole lot of issues around that, right? That it's, it's certainly not less than that, but it's a lot more than that. Uh, there's debates around this issue. Uh, debates like, what kind of language are you talking about? Right? That's an issue. Are, do, when, you're, when you say speak a language, do you mean a human language? Do you mean like Mandarin? Uh, do you mean a heavenly language, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, the uh, tongues of angels? Is it some combination of both? Now, we are limited with time today. 
you are going to be angry at me at the end of the sermon, I promise, for all kinds of reasons. But one of them is, I'm not going to cover all the things you want me to cover, okay? Uh, but I, I, suffice it to say, I, I will say at least this much. I think there's, there's good reason in the text to think that the gift of tongues is both human languages and heavenly languages being spoken. I think there's both of those things going on. I'm not going to defend that. I'm just going to punt that to Rodney next week, okay? <laughs> so he's got to deal with that. But uh, the, one of the reasons I'm punting is not because I don't have an answer. I do, but I'm, I'm punting because wherever you land on this issue, it's a little bit beside Paul's point here. Uh, because uh, Paul's point that he's making here is, hey, whether they're earthly languages or heavenly languages or, or both, what makes it a tongue is that no one can understand you, including you, right? So it's something being spoken, a language being spoken that they don't get. And when you say it, you don't get it. Okay, so when a person speaks in tongues, it says he speaks to men. Uh, He speaks not to men, but to God. So God understands the word, but people don't understand the word. He calls tongues mysteries in the spirit. Okay, that's what they are. They are these mysterious expressions coming out of your mouth that aren't directed toward people. They're directed toward God, and and they're mysterious. They're done in the spirit. Now, just because no one understands it doesn't mean that it helps no one. There is a version of uninterpreted tongues that is helpful to someone. In fact, he, he's going to tell us in verse 4, there's one person it helps in particular, the person speaking the tongue. It says this, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up who? Himself. Builds up himself. So apparently, there is a private benefit that someone with the gift of tongues enjoys. Okay? And uh, I, I know all kinds of folks, uh, some of them are in this room. Uh, you may uh, be this person, or you may know folks like this. Plenty of folks who claim to have the gift of tongues, who exercise that gift in prayer to the Lord in private, and they will tell you in doing that, they feel a deep, uh, rich connection with God that they don't otherwise experience. And it has this effect in them where it does a strengthening, upbuilding work in their faith, in their heart, right? So I think the Bible has a category for a private prayer language. I think the Bible gives a category for that. And if you disagree, that's okay. We can still be friends. I'll take you to coffee. I'll speak in English to you. It's going to be fine, okay? Uh, But I, I, I do think that is the case. But, but here's the issue. In the church gathering... There's more folks than just you. And in that setting, Paul's going to say, we have a new priority now. Now it's not just about building myself up. It's about building who up? You. My mind should be on you. I build my brother up. And tongues by itself, he says, fails to do that. So verse 6, he says, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. He's saying, if the goal of the gathered church is that we would benefit each other, I can't benefit you if you don't know what I'm saying, right? It's not helpful to you if it's not English to you, right? It's, or Greek in this case. Now, he gives them some examples to clarify what he means. In verse seven, he says, look, if if even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp, do not give a distinct note, how will anyone know what is played? 
saying not everything done on an instrument is music. And parents in the room have got a kid learning violin. You know this, right? It's like that, that is an instrument, but that is not a song. I don't know what that is, but you should stay in your room and keep practicing, right? It's, it's not, it's not good. That, it's meant to make something orderly and helpful and beautiful, but if it's indistinct sounds, it's actually not profitable to me. It's not, it's not music. He gives a military example. He says, and if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who who will get ready for battle? Who's going to get ready for battle? We're on a mission here, he's saying, and, and we need that trumpet to herald our next move. What do we do next? When do we fight? Where do we go? And the trumpet's meant to indicate that. But if you've got the trumpet and you're off in the corner playing fusion jazz music, Mr. Miles Davis, right? It, you may be all up in your fields, but it doesn't matter much to us. I don't know where to go. It's, it's giving an indistinct sound. It's Marty McFly in Back to the Future 1, right? The, the, the scene where uh, he's playing on stage, trying to get his mom and his dad to fall in love and get married so that they will have him in the future. It's a very confusing story, kids. You have to ask your parents. He's playing and they're playing Johnny Be Good, and they're just having the best time, and the parents are dancing, the crowd's dancing, the band's jamming, it's awesome. And then guitar solo happens, and he just breaks into Van Halen, right? And he's just shredding down the neck, falling on the ground, right? And what happens in that scene where he's just losing his mind? What's happening? Everything stops, right? The band stops. The dancing stops. Mom and dad stop, right? Why? Because, dude, you're all up in your feels, but we got a mission here and you're not helping us achieve it anymore. We're off track. It's an indistinct sound for us. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about. You have maybe come from church contexts uh, where, where tongues is practiced in an uninterpreted way, right? Where in, in the church service, uh, there are people speaking in other tongues without interpretation, sometimes in the congregation, yeah, sometimes on stage, sometimes in the preaching, sometimes in the song, in the singing, right? Where no one in the room knows what's being said. And what I'm saying is, Paul's point here is that expression of tongues is unbiblical. Not that tongues is unbiblical, but that expression of tongues is unbiblical. And listen, guys, this is coming from Paul, who speaks in tongues. He's pro-tongues, guys. He says it right here in verse 18. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all y'all, right? He said, I do this way more than you. And even I am saying, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So he's saying it's not right to speak uninterpreted tongues in the congregation. I just don't see a way around it. So tongues, yes. Tongues in certain contexts, no, without interpretation. Why? Because it's actually telling, if you practice tongues like that, what it's doing is it's telling the people around you that what the gathered church is mainly is a me moment. This is me getting my spiritual connectivity on with God thing. Instead of what the Bible constantly tells us it is, which is a we moment. This is me being conscientious in spaces about how to bless you, how to find ways to strengthen your faith, build you up, encourage you. It betrays 
what the gathered church is actually about. The main reason we come together is to find meaningful ways to strengthen each other's grip on King Jesus. That's why we gather here. That's why you gather in your community group so that we can find, help each other find meaningful ways to hold on to King Jesus. So, he says in verse 12, with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. He's saying, are you a person who loves seeing the spirit manifest? And I'm asking you, like, are you a person who, you wanna see God do something here? You wanna see the spirit of God move in a local church, in your small group, on a Sunday. You wanna see that? They wanted to see that. They were doing tongues all the time. They, they loved manifestations of the spirit. He's saying, do you wanna see the, the spirit manifest in dramatic ways? Yes, then learn his favorite way of manifesting. And the Holy Spirit's favorite way of manifesting in his church is not by breaking the laws of physics. It is not by merely giving you a strange tongue to speak. It is by producing hearts that hold on to Jesus for dear life. That's what the Spirit is about. And that requires, if that's true, that requires things like promises and warnings and exhortations and rebukes and encouragements and all of those things are made up of, wait for it, words that make sense. Yeah? So if you're gonna obsess about spiritual gifts, he's saying, obsess about the ones that give your brother words, that give your sister words, that give us content. We are a content people. We're a words people at this church. That's what Paul's saying. You need to be words people. Obsess about things that can provide news and warnings and promises that could change a person's life. So Paul says, pray for the gift of interpretation. You got the gift of tongues? I'm asking, if you have the gift of tongues in this room, praise God. You should also ask God, Paul says, for the gift of interpretation so that you could say a tongue and then give an interpretation of what you're saying so it could actually be helpful to that guy, right? He's saying pray for the gift of interpretation and pray even more for the gifts of prophecy. That's what he says next. Remember verse one, he says, um, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So we've, t- we've talked about tongues for a bit. Let me, let me shift gears. We're getting our categories, right? We're trying to figure out like what these words he's using mean. We talked about tongues. Let's talk about prophecy for a little bit. What, what do we mean? Because Paul says, desire tongues. I hope you all speak in tongues. Ask to interpret, but I want you to prophesy more than you do anything. So can we figure out a little bit about what Paul means by prophecy? Now, uh, when Rodney was giving his definitions, uh, he, he gave this one as a gift of prophecy from the scriptures. He said, it's the ability to share something that God brings to mind, which is the bottom shelf easiest way to talk about prophecy. That is the ability to share something that God has brought to mind. But again, you and I both know, got all kinds of problems, right? That we have to sort out all kinds of debates around this issue of prophecy. And again, I don't have time to get into all of them and there are lots, but here's one of them. 
is, is uh, when we're talking about prophecy and we're getting our categories, is New Testament prophecy the same thing as Old Testament prophecy? Is it qualitatively a different kind of thing? In the Old Testament, like, you either said a true thing as a prophet or you were stoned to death. Those were kind of your options. Is it that or is it something qualitatively different? Now, again, I, there's lots of reasons for, for the position I'm about to say. Um, but uh, I'll show my cards by saying I think that the New Testament there's a good argument to be made that on this side of the book of Acts, the gift of prophecy in the New Testament is qualitatively different than the very narrowly defined, infallible, divinely inspired revelation from God that gets downloaded into a prophet like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. I think there's a difference there. One of the many reasons I could give is this. I don't think it makes sense for Paul to tell us in, say, 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21, for him to tell us, hey, listen to prophecy and then weigh it and then hold on to the good and kind of let go of the bad, right? If it's Old Testament prophecy only, there's no chewing the meat, spitting out the bones. It's not like, Isaiah, I liked chapter one, chapter five, not sure, right? Like there's none of that going on. He's saying, no, you... This kind of prophecy requires the discernment of the body to hear a thing and to go, is that from the Lord? Is that not? What parts of it are? I'm going to hold on to the good. I'm going to abandon the bad. So that alone tells me we're, we're maybe dealing with something a little bit different than what we were dealing with in the Old Testament, okay? Uh, now, that being said, let me give you just a, a real um, cursory definition of prophecy in, in light of that. I think what the New Testament is talking about with respect to prophecy is... When God gives you a sense or an impression or an insight that didn't come from you, some measure of content that subordinates to the scripture, right? Everything always subordinates to the word of God that you're meant to share with someone else. I think, I think that's what we're talking about here. And, and you go, okay, well, if that's the definition, that's all well and good, but why is Paul beating the drum so hard about it? Why is it so much better, he's saying, than the gift of tongues in the congregation? Why? Why make such a fuss about it? And his answer is because, verse three, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. He's saying because, here's why it's better. Because right now, now I'm talking to you guys, because right now in this room, in Stonegate, there are torn down people, yeah, that need some upbuilding. There are discouraged people that need some encouragement right now. You came in this morning with a limp and it's hard for you today and you need some encouragement. There are people right here in this congregation that are grieving and they need consolation. And God, listen, just may have a specific unique encouragement or challenge for them that he wants to say through you. Miracle of miracles. Through you. Let me give you just, uh, let me give you an example of, of what I mean. This is in my life and this happened last week, okay? So last week, I'm preaching chapter 13, uh, love and uh, one of the attributes of love was love is not resentful. And I was trying to explain that uh, to you guys. And uh, one of the things I said last week uh, to kind of illustrate it is I said something like, um, hey, if you're the person who reaches all the way back to 2017 and 
uh, you grab the thing that they did to you back there and you bring it on this moment today and you just oppress them with all the stuff they did in their past back in 2017, that is keeping a long tab on people, not a short tab. It's resentment, it's unbiblical, unloving, and you need to repent. Now, I said that not on a whim. I actually had written it in my manuscript the week before. And when I wrote 2017 in my manuscript last week, I, I prayed as I wrote, because it's a very odd, specific thing to write. Uh, most of my preaching is odd and specific. Um, but I, I wrote it, and I, and I prayed this to the Lord. God, I, I wonder if you're having me grab that random number right there for someone. If there's going to be somebody in the congregation that you may just want to poke on or address something, I don't know. But Lord, do your thing. I preached the three sermons last Sunday, and in the middle sermon, at 10 a.m., a woman comes up to me. Uh, she doesn't go to this church. Uh, she's just stopping in that Sunday. She came with her family, and uh, she said, hey, you were talking about resentment, and you mentioned 2017 in your example, and that was the year my family blew up with conflict, where there was a sin and a grievance that happened, an offense that took place, and our family just hasn't been able to shake it. We haven't been able to let it go. And we all kind of looked at each other on the row when you said it, because we all know what 2017 means. And at the end of your sermon, when everyone was taking communion, I looked over and I saw my mom come over to my sister-in-law, the two people who were in conflict together, and I saw her whisper something into her ear and then grabbed her neck, hugged her. There were tears. It looked like there was repentance happening. I think God did some healing work last week through that, and it happened because they were poked on in a specific way, and I just want to thank you for doing that. And I was like, I didn't do nothing, Right? I don't know where 20, I didn't go like 2017 was the year that Sally did. I don't, I don't know. I, God gave me a sense of a thing. I wrote it down. I opened my hands up to him and he used it and it helped and it consoled and it blessed people. Let me give you another example. Uh, I have a buddy who, who, um, whose friend was in a small group setting, 20 people or so. And uh, he was there teaching them, speaking to them, doing that kind of thing. And, in the middle of it, he gets this like impression from the Lord that he may need to say this specific thing to the Lord. And it was a weird thing that came into his head. What he felt like the Lord wanted him to say in that moment was, the Lord hates mommies and daddies. Which is a weird thing to say. And you should question if that's from the Lord. And he did. He's like, Lord, I'm not, I'm not about to like be full weirdo on these people. Say it. But he just couldn't shake it. It just kept humming back there in his head. And he's like, okay, I'm just going to caveat the heck out of this. I don't know if this is from God or not, but I'm going to, you know, and I'm just going to say the thing. And so in this moment with this room of 20 people or so, he, he goes, hey, yeah, it's like this thing I got to say, I don't know. Uh, but I think the Lord may want me to tell you that he hates mommies and daddies. And as soon as he said that, someone in the back, a woman in the back starts crying. And everybody turns and looks at her and they, they go over to her and she just can't control herself because of the tears. Come to find out that when she was a child, her dad used to sexually abuse her. And the way we, he would get away with it, he, was, he would frame it as a game to her. And the game was called mommies and daddies. And with that moment, of insight from the Lord given to that person did, was that was God saying, hey, I see you. And I hate what happened. And I love you. 
Do you see how like in the middle of suffering, how that can be such a, this gift can be such a ministering aid to someone. So we don't want to harden our hearts to these things. We want to be open-handed. If God would, would want to operate like that through us, who are we to say no? What a beautiful thing that could be. What a helpful thing that that could be. God may want to console, encourage, even bring someone into the fold of Christ through your mouth. That's what he says at the end of this section. In chapter uh, 14, 24 through 25, he says, but if all prophesy, so he's comparing it with tongues, he says, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Isn't it amazing that God would use knuckleheads like you and I to actually expose the hearts of people and bring them into repentance and faith in Jesus Christ by us opening our mouths in faith, speaking to him. That's what he's saying. Things like prophecy are able to do when we can speak that word to a person. We actually have an opportunity to beckon them into the fold of God. This is what happens when we speak words with meaning and content, but if people that you're around only hear the tongue and not the word, nothing happens. Nothing happens except confusion. Paul says it's like speaking into the air. Therefore, the point of this passage is excel in the ministry of words. Be a words people. Now, what does that look like for us? We're going to close with just a, a few thoughts. If, if what Paul's saying is, when you come together as a church, you're to be about the body, not just your private little Devo moment. If that's what, if that's what he's saying, how, how, how should that practically roll out for us? Well, the back half of this passage, the back half of a, a chapter 14, really does a lot of that work. It does a lot of the boots on the ground. Here's what it looks like in a church service. And Rodney's going to pick up a lot of that next week. Uh, so uh, some of that's going to be dealt with then. Uh, but let me just give a, a handful of insights for how practically you can apply this. We're, we're just working on the heart today. I, we're trying to get to a place where our heart can say, I'm willing to give up preferences, my preferred way of operating in the gifts, if it means I can bless my brother. That's really what the front half of this passage is, getting to the heart of it. And if we get to the heart, what, what are some simple ways that that could show up and, and express itself in our setting? And we'll get more specific next week. Here, here's uh, one way that it can express itself. I would love to, I, I wanna encourage you to st start making your regular prayer when you show up on a Sunday morning this. Father, I'm here. Who do you want me to encourage today? Put, will you put someone on my heart that, that, that you want me to bless and console and exhort and help and encourage? And God, what would you want me to say to him? Are you asking that kind of question? That's a real God who really speaks to you. The Spirit's really in you. And he can really help you have eyes to see that, words to say. Wouldn't it be amazing if this whole church was constantly asking that question when we showed up on a Sunday morning? How can I... What could I say to my neighbor, this person, maybe that I'm sitting next to, and I don't even know them. What might God want to en encourage them with today? I'm gonna just open myself up to that. And I'm gonna start asking you that, Lord.
That would be a great thing for you to start baking into your rhythms on a Sunday morning. Let me give you another one. Uh, This is dear to my heart. Sing louder. Yeah? Amen. Wave it, sister. Get you a tambourine. (sighs) Sing. And this is not just Jimmy being cute because I'm the worship pastor and and, and it's not me needing to be affirmed up here because I'm so insecure. You know what worship is? You know what sung worship is? It's really, in some ways, it's a form of prophecy, isn't it? Because what we're doing is we're saying the truths about God out over each other, right? Which is kind of what we talked about prophecy. In fact, it's so much like prophecy that Paul's going to say in Colossians 3, in in, uh, Ephesians 5, that we're to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Isn't that interesting that when he commands worship, he says, you know who the audience is in worship? It's you guys. We are singing these songs to each other. And so it doesn't help for you to just be all up in a vibe, just having your little moment here. I need you to sing to me. I need you to tell me great is his faithfulness. I need you to tell me praise the name of the Lord our God. I need need to watch your faith work itself out in words so that I can be strengthened because I'm having a hard go. And she's having a hard go. And we need to hear each other. So sing louder. And crying out loud, open your eyes sometimes. How many conversations do you have where your eyes just shut the whole time where you're having a It'd be weird, wouldn't it? It's because that's the me thing. I'm saying this is a we thing, y'all. This is, I, I sing with my eyes open to you guys most of the time. Not, not because I'm like, oh my gosh, are they listening? It's because I, I want to tell you this truth. I believe it. I want you to know. So I'm singing to you. Will you sing to me? Will you tell her that truth? Will you tell him that truth? Sing loud. Look around. This is for us. It ministers to the body. This is a we moment. Let me give you one more. Uh, get, in a, get in a community group. I don't know if you're just a Sunday attender, but you need people around you. And one of the best ways to war against the mentality that I'm just here for me is to not just do the Sunday thing. Right? But to get into small groups of people where you can get life on life with other folks in the congregation, where you can actually exercise your spiritual gifts toward them and they to you, where you can have conversations that last a while, all of that can happen in a community group. And that's why we, we harp on that so much here. You should find one. And guess what? August 6th, just a few weeks from now, we're doing a thing called Group Connect. We're starting it here at the church, after, after church, behind this wall where we're doing a five-week sort of program getting you integrated into a community group. So if you're not in one, come to that, August 6th. Write it down. I should see people writing right now. Come August 6th to Group Connect. We're going to teach about what community groups should look like. Uh, You're going to get to meet some more folks at this church so you're not just a stranger all the time. And then we're going to, we're going to, design groups and build them out so that, and so that you can meet regularly with these folks. That's going to happen August 6th. Be a part of that, man. That would be such a great way to militate against the me-only mentality. We don't just want to be about us. We want to be about us with people. So I think those are three great ways to do that. And when we do this, when we act like this, when we resist grabbing onto all of our preferences of how we prefer to worship, how we prefer to show up on a Sunday morning, how we prefer to use our gifts. When, when we war against that, you know what's awesome about that? We're, we're imitating our big brother, Jesus. Because 
and we talked about this last week, it, last week, everything that we do, if it's good or right or loving, it's really just a minor expression of what he's done in the major, isn't it? Because isn't this true about Jesus? That Jesus is the zenith example of someone who let go of his preferences in order to build you up, right? Who Philippians 2 says, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what it looks like. So if you're abandoning your preferences to bless your brother, bless your sister, guess what? You're just walking in the footsteps of your big brother, Jesus. He did it first. He did it better. We set our eyes on him. We watch him, and then we change into that image. That's what Paul's been saying this whole time. And one way we get to do that is by coming into church and being about the building up of other people, not just ourselves. And that's what we're being called to today in this text. Yeah? Let's pray. Well, Father, uh, there's so much ground that was not covered that I'm hoping uh, you'll have mercy. <laughs> and uh, I'm praying that um, it will be uh, next week. But, um, but, Lord, I am praying that this week um, the truth that we are to be about our brother and sister would shine really bright and be really loud and that you would use it to help us here this morning to open our eyes to the folks around us and to know that by the power of your spirit, we actually have the ability to strengthen them, encourage them, console them. Life is hard, Lord, and you've given us the mercy, the gift of the church to help us. So God, would you help us to to lean into every grace you've given us to help each other. And I pray it would start this morning. And Lord, as we worship you, we just want to say we love your son. And we're thankful that you sent him, the one who went before us, the one who laid down his preferences so that we might live, that we might be built up forever with you. We give you thanks for him. In Jesus' name. Amen.